else. We're going through the series of Exodus. We're looking at the life of Moses. Moses is like my favorite Bible story character. There's so much to him, and every time I study the life of Moses, I get more and more out of it. So this was like just so fun digging into this passage. Um, So the first part I just want to talk to you about is where are we in the story of the Bible? And I think that's super important because for years, I just, I really thought the Bible was segmented. Like I grew up really, you know, it's like this story, this story, this story, and I didn't have a connection. And I was thinking back where I realized the Bible was one story in the best possible way was that Michael and I um, came across, it's called the the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so somebody had mentioned it to us. We bought it. We were on vacation. It was just Michael and I. We were on vacation. We had kids. I read it from beginning to end. Like, I remember where I was laying outside sunbathing, reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it tied every story to Jesus. And honestly, my eyes were opened in this whole new way um, of really connecting it. Even though, I mean, I had grown up in the church, went to Bible college, had Bible classes. It just, that connected it in this beautiful way. And so for you guys, maybe you're in that same place. Maybe you have this down pat, or maybe you're thinking, no, this is, I really, it's a good reminder of what this is. So where are we in the story of the Bible? And um, I put this on your sheet, but there's, there's four terms that are really good to remember um, that kind of help to put the Bible into one thing. So it's one story from beginning to end. And I, lo- I like to say it this way. It's one love story from beginning to end. Um, and it's, it's beautiful when we look at it that way. And so we have creation, fall, re- redemption, and restoration. So those are our, the four, I mean, that's, that's the story of the Bible. So where are we in this? We already had creation. So Genesis 1 is where the creation took place. And then shortly after that, we have the fall. So that was when Adam and Eve sinned. We had the fall. And then immediately after the fall, we start into the redemption story. And so right after the fall is what happens. And I have this written in, because these are just good terms to keep in mind and maybe things you haven't heard. Um, But Genesis 3.15 is known as, it's called the (laughs) proto-evangelum, which is just this big word. And proto just means first. And then evangelum is just talking about um, the the gospel story. And so here we have um, the uh, evangelum is good news. So we have the first good news. And this passage is in there and it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So what we're seeing in here is Jesus immediately after the fall is saying, here's my redemption plan. And it's just this one verse that you just you hear the picture of what's going to happen. And so in this, when it says that he will strike your heel, that's Satan. He's going to strike the heel, and it's going to be painful. But it's just, he, there's, there's not death. It's just, it's painful. But then it says that he will strike his head. That is a death blow, and that is Jesus at the cross um, is what we're looking at in the redemption story here. And so right in the beginning in Genesis, we hear that God is going to do something. And then I have written down on your sheet is that we have, um, we have this um, with God and Abraham, he gives a covenant. And this covenant is a unilateral covenant. So most covenants in the Old Testament, we have to look at things in the Old Testament covenants were a very significant thing that happened throughout the Old Testament. And it was when it was a covenant, it was like, you do this, I do this. We both hold our part together. That's how we have this covenant. But this is a unique covenant because it's unilateral. So it's God saying, I'm going to do this. 
it doesn't matter what you do because you're probably going to fail. <laughs> and he, it's this one-way covenant. And listen to this. Now I put this on your sheet. I will make you into a great nation. This is God speaking. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Um, and so here we see this initiation of God's covenant with his chosen people, Israel. And so it's starting with Abraham. And then I just have these names written on there. You often hear it referred to, and we're going to hear it in our passage today. We hear the patriarchs are what they're called. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs. And I put a little parenthesis there because it helps to tie it in, is that Jacob's son was Joseph. He's how we end up. And again, you know, Joseph, if you know Joseph in the, um, the coat of many colors story, that's Jacob's son. That's how we end up in Egypt, and that's what gets us here today. So good to keep this whole thing in mind that we're in this place um, where the redemption story is happening. We're in the middle of this, and God is doing something um, We saw last week the beginning of God's rescue plan um, was initiated to fulfill his covenant with Abraham. So um, we have here last week, what Helen talked about was that God saved Moses as a tiny baby. And um, we see that in that place he saves Moses. And do you remember who adopts Moses? Pharaoh's daughter, right. So Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses into her, into her family. So we have Moses is being raised in the palace um, is what is going on. My favorite part of last week, I, I, my absolute favorite line is where um, she takes the baby and then all of a sudden, you know, Moses' sister is there and you, she, you know, Pharaoh's daughter is like, hey, can you help me find somebody to, you know, to wean the baby? And so Moses' mom gets to breastfeed her son all the way and wean him, you know, and gets paid for it. I love that. She gets paid. You know, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. But this is God's weaving this in. So now we have, you know, we, we dropped off there last week. Every week it's just going to keep building. It's just going to keep getting better and better. Um, so here's where we pick up um, today. And so if you'll stand with me, we're going to read the passage. It's on your paper. It'll be on the screen, whatever is easier to look at. Um, so we were picking up, we have 14 verses today, Exodus 2 verses 11 through 25. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren And he looked at their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked away. He looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out on the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water. They filled the troughs with water to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Reuel, their father, how is it that you have come so soon to us, he said. An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man. He gave Zipporah, 
his daughter to Moses, and she bore him a son. He called him Gershom, and he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with them. Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. You can be seated. So we're going to break this passage down. We're going to go through it um, verse by verse, looking in these um, kind of chunks of sections. And then I'm going to give you just a couple applications at the end. Um, And I must say, we probably could have had 50 more applications. And as you dwell on this passage this week, see what God's saying to you. See what more applications can be pulled out. Um, Because every time we look at this, there's just, it's rich with who God is um, in this passage. So we're going to start with, um, in verse 11, it's where it's saying that Moses was grown. And um, the cool thing about the life of Moses is that there's a lot of passages in the New Testament that give us some insights of what happened here. So we're actually going to jump to um, to Acts 7.23 is the next passage. And it says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. So here, I mean, this gives us a pretty interesting insight because Moses has been in the palace being raised by Pharaoh's daughter for 40 years. And the very interesting thing is when we know the life of Moses, his life is actually segmented into 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. Super interesting. And 40 years, I mean, I am 44, 43, I don't know, somewhere around there. Um, (laughs) That's, I mean, like, that's a really long time that he is in this place um, before this is happening. So it's interesting to kind of, you know, just tuck that in your head as we think about that. Um, And so this is where this begins, where Moses is starting to see this. And think about, I just want you to think about how God works. This is just like a cool insight, is that the king or Pharaoh, the, the ruler, and remember, Egypt is like the land to be in at this time. This is like, so Pharaoh is like the man of the world. I mean, he knows it. Like, he is, uh, we're going to get into this later on. Um, but he wanted Moses dead, and yet he financed his career, his care, his training, and his education. Kind of interesting to think about that. Um, Pharaoh thinks he's in charge, right? But we see that God is actually orchestrating all of these events. The hand of God is on Moses to be the future deliverer of Israel. Um, so when we look at this, we're going to go back to the next, um, to the same um, passage. And it says that he looked at their burdens. And when we see this, it means to see. And Moses is seeing this with an emotion. And again, we're going to jump ahead. We're going to look in, in Hebrews, actually. Hebrews 11 is what a passage is often referred to as the heroes of the faith. And so it's kind of cool. Moses, obviously, is seen as a hero of the faith. And so in this passage, we're going to look, and it says, by faith, I want you to hear some of these words. When he became of age, so I guess 40 is of age. I just became of age recently. Um, he refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So it says by faith, 
Moses deliberately decided to identify with the people of Israel rather than the, than the Egyptians. He had prestige, he had opportunity, but he chose to identify with them rather than the palace of Pharaoh. He could have just cared about himself and his own needs. Um, he was well taken care of, but he had a choice. And here we see he deliberately looked at the plight of the Israelites. Um, we too, just some aside, I just have some thoughts to give. We always have a choice, right? We can look at ourselves. We can see, we may have, you know, think we have things together. We might have, you know, things going fairly well in our lives. Things might be pretty pleasant. And so we have a choice. We can look at the needs of those around us, or we can just focus on ourselves. Um, and that's the choice that Moses had here. But he deliberately chose to look at his people. And then it says, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So here we see he saw, and this means that he literally put his mind to observe something. He put his mind on it carefully and attentively. So this is Moses fixing his eyes upon the situation. And he's perceiving it clearly is what we're looking at. So the next verse, verse 12, it says he looked this way and that way. When he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. And I want you to catch those words. When it says he looked this way and that way, that means he knows he was about to do something wrong, right? He knew there was something inside of him that was saying, this isn't right. This isn't the way to go about it. Uh, he looks this way and that, but he chose um, to do it anyway. And we can tell he has a troubled conscience is what we see um, in this. And then he covers it up. You know, he kicks the sand over the body and covers it up. Um, and again, we're going to go one more time to the New Testament to look at um, kind of the, the thinking, you know, Moses thinking behind this, like, what, what is going on here? And it says in Acts 7, um, 23 through 25, it says this. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. So again, this is talking about he's coming to see them. He sees one of them suffering wrong. Listen, he defended and he avenged he who was oppressed. He struck down the Egyptian. Listen, for he supposed that his brethren, so he supposed that the Israelites would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. So this explains that Moses did this to avenge the beaten Israelite here, but he had the expectation that his fellow Israelites would recognize them, him as their deliverer. So Moses knows who he's supposed to be, right? There's something inside of him that he knows that he's supposed to be the deliverer. Um, but this happens, and, you know, he, he has this, that it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to avenge this. They're going to see who I am. Moses has the right heart to deliver his people, but it can't be in his own flesh, and it can't be in his own timing. He's taking the situations into his own hands, and because he does that, it leads to sin rather than deliverance. So keep this in mind as we're going through this. So the next passage is 13 and 14. Um, it says, you know, this is talking about where he has been rejected by his own people. Um, and this is where, so the companion says, you know, he goes, he breaks up this fight. This is the next day. So he kills the Egyptian. Then he goes out again. I mean, he's probably thinking, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm delivering them. Um, but then the next day he goes out. He sees two Israelites fighting with each other. Um, and, you know, he's asking, why are you striking your companion? Moses here believes that his education, his royal black background, his successes, um, and even his great sympathy, he has sympathy for his people, that that would give him credibility 
among his people. He here tries to intervene in this disagreement, this violent, there's a violent disagreement going on with the two Hebrew, Hebrew men. But the problem is, is that he wasn't supposed to take the matter into his own hands. So the question the next day is appropriate. This guy says to him this, ne- you know, this day when Moses you know, intervenes, he says, who are you to be made ruler and judge over us? And the answer is, he's not, not yet, right? Um, and when we think about who made you prince and judge, Moses seemed to act like a prince. Given his royal background, he grew up in the palace, so he thinks, I'm a prince. And he also acted like a judge because he was trying to determine who did something wrong. You know, which of these two men? Somebody's doing something wrong. I'm the judge. I'm the prince. Um, And he does seem to be the perfect judge and prince for Israel, right? You know, like in his mind, this is what is happening. So and when we think about this, when it talks about a prince, a prince is somebody who has the right to rule. And when they rule, they expect your loyalty, right? If I'm, you know, in, in command, I expect to be able to rule over you and have you um, think of me, have loyalty to me. But then a judge has a right to tell you what to do when we think about an earthly judge and to punish you if you don't do it, right? So this is, you know, what a prince is and a judge is, and this is what they're calling out. Who do you think you are to be prince and judge? In rejecting Moses, they're saying to him this, we don't want you to rule over us or tell us what to do. So this is the rejection that he's experiencing here. And so out of this place, moving on to verse 15, um, we see that when Pharaoh heard of this, he wants Moses dead. And so Moses runs. He flees to Midian. So he is just, I'm out of here. I screwed this whole thing up. This is not going well. This is not what my intentions were. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm fleeing. I'm getting out of here. And so it says when Moses fled for his life, he probably felt like God's plan for his life was ruined. You know, imagine, sit in this place. Like we always say, strap on your sandals, get in this story. Imagine you were Moses. You had these right intentions, but you just murdered somebody. And now you recognize that your people don't want you, right? So he, this is where he's sitting. So he flees. He probably believes that every chance he ever had to deliver his people was over, and there is absolutely nothing that he can do. It's hard to believe at this point, but I want you to hear this. Moses is exactly where God wants him to be. Amen? He is exactly where God wants him to be, in this place where he has murdered somebody, in this place where he's rejected, but God is right with him, and he has him right where he wants it. Moses tried to do God's work in his own wisdom and power, and it didn't work. After 40 years of what earthly people would think is the perfect preparation, um, God had another period of preparation for Moses to go on, the exact same amount of time, another 40 years um, for Moses to be able to lead the people of Israel. So we're entering into this time period. So um, verses 16 and 17 um, this is where the, prin- the, prin- the priest of Midian, of Midian has seven daughters. They come, think about this, they're at the well, and you have these shepherds that come and drive them away. All they want to do is, you know, um, get their flocks, and they get driven away by them. And next thing you know, um, Moses comes, and he helps them. And then we have this, um, this, you know, place where their dad says, where's this guy that helped you? How'd you get here so quick? Um, and so in this place, I want you to, to look at the, the term prince of Midian. Um, And likely, this is such a cool part of the story, okay? Um, The prince of Midian is likely um, a descendant of Abraham, okay? And so if we looked at Genesis 25, I don't have this on here. Um, Genesis 25, it says it lists Abraham got married again, and he had a wife, and her name was Keturah. And one of her sons, it lists her sons, one of her sons was named Midian. 
So here we have, you know, remember Abraham's covenant, you know, we have God. So here in Midian, he has this remnant that's sitting there, that's waiting. And Moses happens to be at the well that this man's daughters happen to be at. And this man, hear him say, why didn't you get him to me? And he wants to break bread with him. Like, I love that. There's so much that happens around a table. He says, come, bring him. And you know what is cool at this point? I want you to see this too. He looks like an Egyptian. They think that he's an Egyptian. I mean, he totally has that look. Um, And so even in there, you know, it's not like he looks like a Hebrew. It's not like he looks like, they wouldn't have known that. But yet there was a sense of welcome that Moses received, and he's invited to the table. And out of that place, he builds a relationship. Honestly, this dad is one of my favorite people in the Bible. His name gets changed to Jethro later on or he's called Jethro later on, and when Moses is wandering with all the people, and it's, remember, you're going to get into this, but it's like a million, some, you know, two million, three million, we don't, crazy amount of people that he's going to be in the desert with, and at one point, Jethro comes to him, and he says, Moses, you need help. You're doing this all wrong. He's like, you got to divide them up. You got to, like, come up with this whole system. This is a really cool guy, and, like, Moses spends 40 years with Jethro, and he is coming up with this relationship that God put him right in the midst of, and it's just beautiful to be able to see that. Um, So here we see that, you know, in Egypt, Moses enjoyed a a life as a royal family, and I want you to think about this. During his time in Egypt, he would have been served, okay? He would have been somebody that everybody would have been waiting on him hand and foot. Like, he is in the palace here, but yet he is so willing to serve these women. You know, Moses humbles himself and is willing to serve them as he helps them water their flocks. Um, And because, um, you know, because of this whole thing, God unites him with this family. And so here we're going to look at the next in verses 20 to 22. Um, It says that um, he's accepted into this family. And so again, he's coming into the family and he's um, content to live with them. And so, but I want you to hear some of what's going on. Remember, Moses didn't deal with, you know, we don't know that Moses dealt with the pain of what he did. He murdered somebody. This is in his heart. He has a guilty conscience. His people rejected him. And now he's still, you know, like when we don't deal with our stuff, it's still there, okay? And I want you to see here how we know that it's, that it's here. As you look at the bottom here, it says, she bore him a son, okay? So Zipporah has a baby, and it says, he named the son. So she doesn't name him, all right? This is all Moses. He names the son, and this is his, the meaning of his name, stranger in a foreign land. Do you hear his wounds? Do you hear the wounds welling up, you know, coming out of him? I'm a stranger in a foreign land. Like, he doesn't know where he fits, what he's doing. Um, the years in Midian were training and preparation time for Moses. God was humbling Moses. It's important to remember that Moses does not know his future at this point. We know he's going to the Red Sea. We know what he's going to do. He's going to do all these cool things. He's going to become a friend of God. He's going to meet him in the tent of meeting. I mean, one of the things that has changed my life is I think of myself like Moses all the time. How much time am I spending in the tent of meeting with the Lord? He's going to those places. I know this. Moses at this point has no idea what's to come. He's still in this place of of in his wounds, he doesn't know the future, and he thinks he's disqualified, right? Um, but it's important to remember, he doesn't know the future, but God knows, and we know where the story is heading. 
um, you know, think about this, that this time period, as he's in this place, it's 40 years that this is going on. Um, but God remembers Israel, and he turns his attention to them. So in 23 to 25, you know, we look at this place that it happened at the time. So the king of Egypt dies, and here we see, so that king is gone, and now we have the children of Israel groaning because of their bondage. They're crying out because of their bondage, and God hears their groaning, um, and God remembers them. When it says that God remembers them, this is like just a really good thing to wrap our minds around um, is that he remembers Israel in their their affliction. While Moses was trying to forget about Israel in Egypt, Moses was turning his attention away from Israel and turning his attention away from Egypt. He wanted nothing to do with that. He was content to just run away, live his life in Midian, have his whole family over here. But as Moses is turning away this way, God is turning his attention um, to Israel and he's actively working on their behalf. And it says that God remembered his covenant. Here we go. And why it was important to put this in the beginning, it says God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God did not turn his attention away, um, did not turn his attention to Israel because they were such good people, but because of his love for Israel and his covenant. That is where this comes from. He made a covenant with them, and he loves them so much that he's turning his attention to them. He's remembering them. Um, The ESV Study Bible says this. When God remembers someone or his covenant, it means that he's about to take action for people's welfare. And so here, when we have this little verse that's sticking out there, God's saying, I remember you. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something to be able to get you out of this place that you're in. God heard the groaning and the sighing, um, and this means, and we talked about this last week, that it's Israel's response to their oppression and despair. That's why they're groaning, they're, they're sighing, they're, they're under oppression, but God sees he's not finished with Israel. He sees everything. Think about this. There's nothing that he does not see, um, and the word that we see here that, that is used here for the word see is called ra, R-A-A-H is the Hebrew word, and the beautiful thing here is that it's the exact same word used earlier when Moses looked at the oppression of the Israelites when he first, before he, um, after he murdered, and you know, when he went to, to see what was going on with his people. It's that exact same word that, that God uses, that is used in the scriptures there. So the, the word that God is seeing Israel is the same word that Moses used um, when he looked at their hard labors. And um, But God is fixing his gaze and looking with concern on their suffering. Moses saw the same thing. Hear this. He saw their suffering. He saw the same thing that God saw, um, but he handled it in the wrong way. But God, when he sees this, he's filled with love and grace. And God is perfectly executing his rescue plan for Moses, for Israel, and then through Jesus on the cross and the line that's going to come through Moses for us as well. And so here I have three applications. Like I said, you could come up with so much more, um, but I really want you to hear these things, and I think this is what we were prophetically hearing earlier. Um, Number one is your sin does not disqualify you from God's plan. Moses' sin is not too great for God. How many of us, how many of you have shame that the enemy has put on you because of the things that you have done, the bad choices you have made, and you have this lie in your head that says, God cannot use me because I have done this? That is a lie from the pit of hell. Hear me, there is nothing, uh, nothing 
listen to this. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more or less. The day that Moses murdered that, that Egyptian, God loved him the same before and after. Nothing changed in that moment. And we have to wrap our heads around this. Remember, Moses deliberately murdered this man. It, he looked this way. He looked that way. He knew what he was going to do is wrong. How many times do I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I do it any, anyway? I make those kinds of choices all the time. But we can do this. Hear this. Uh, we can invite Jesus into that moment. We can invite him right into the shame and the guilt. We can come, and we can ask Jesus to sit with us, in that place, and we can ask him the hard questions. Do you still even want to use me, even though I've done this? Ask him the hard questions, because I can tell you that he will answer it, and what you will hear is his voice of truth that will say to you, my son, my daughter, in whom I love, you are in whom I am well pleased. That is the voice of God that if you choose to hear his voice, even if it's a second after you did that thing, he will speak his love and his affirmation and his truth over you. God's grace is bigger than our sin. The enemy wants us to run away. Just like Moses said, the enemy wants us to put this line in our head, you'll never fit in in that church anymore. They'll never accept you. They don't want you. Those people, you'll never be used again. Um, the enemy will try to take that moment where God's saying, just sit with me, come hear my voice. And the enemy wants to say, run the other direction and keep running. Go for 40 years. But God's still there. All 40 years, he's still there and he's moving and he's working. And you can face what you have done with Jesus. That is a promise. God's grace is bigger than our sin. He went to the cross for every single sin that was ever committed. We put earthly terms on sin, right? We, we put levels on sin. Well, murder. I mean, seriously, murder's over here. Who else murdered in the Bible? David. We have lots of examples of, like, horrible decisions. Paul. Paul was murdering, and yet Paul becomes one of the most amazing missionaries of the gospel ever to walk the face of the earth. God uses us in our brokenness and our sin, and we have to grasp this because where the enemy wants to run, God wants to say, that is the place that I'm going to use you, and that is where my training ground is going to take place. Um, there is nothing we can do that the blood of Jesus Christ will not cover. Um, number two, you may see yourself as rejected or disqualified, but God never does. And I want you to hear this point. Moses was rejected right? He was rejected by the, all of the Egyptians. He was rejected by all of the Hebrews. Nobody wanted him. He was disqualified by himself. How many times do we disqualify ourselves? Um, and we know that he disqualified himself. As we get into next week, we're going to be at the burning bush. How many times? He's like, not me. Five times. Finally, the last excuse is like, I just pick somebody else. <laughs> like, absolutely not. Like, I've tried all my other good excuses. Now I'm just saying, I'm done. Like, no. Like, we know that's how he felt. Um, and so how many times do we disqualify ourselves, right? But sometimes there are other people speaking these things to us. You know, you're not good enough. We hear it from both places. Um, and, um, you know, we hear this. The other thing I was thinking about this morning as I was thinking about this, sometimes we may think the opposite, and I think Moses was like this in the beginning, we're, that we, we think we are qualified. You know, we think we have this great resume. We have all these things going for us, and we can do it in our own strength. And in that place, God says, 
you're not qualified. <laughs> he says, like, I need to do a little humbling here. I need to do a little rearranging um, because I can't use you in your own strength. His power is perfected in our weakness is where his power comes from. Um, and so God gave Moses a picture of his acceptance in Raul or um, Jethro, whichever you want to call him, and his family. Who are the people that God is speaking to speak acceptance over you? Who are the people that God is sending into your life that say, I see something more in you? They're around here. If you're not hearing it, you're not hanging around the, wrong pe- the right people, okay? Because there are people that want to see God's best in you, and they will see prophetically what God wants to do and where he wants to send you. If we focus on those rejecting us, if we focus on those speaking lies of, uh, over us, if we focus on the lies of the enemy in our minds or the lies that people say, we will miss what God wants to do. We will hear the lies of you're not good enough. God could never use you. Look at what you've done. He uses the comparison game. Look at that person. They have it all together. They're amazing. I am telling you, we need to recognize um, in those places, even where that comparison is taking place, that if we would allow ourselves to know the person's real struggles and their stories, um, we would have a different picture. And I would say if somebody is authentic and somebody is a humble follower of Jesus and you sat with them, somebody that you think they have it all together, and they tell you their story, you would see there are all these stories like Moses in their story that have filled their lives and have brought them to a place that God is now using them. Who are the people that God has placed in your life that are earthly examples of God's acceptance? Moses was so hurt and filled with shame, and he was living in the wounds of his past. We hear this, um, like I said, in how he named his son. We hear foreigner in a land, brokenness, rejection, pain. Rejection and disqualification are what Moses sees, and this will either make you or break you. This is the chance that God has. He's telling you, I want to give you a different, um, a different truth to speak in this place. God may be even allowing you to suffer rejection or feel disqualification so that you will seek him. It says when we seek him, we will find him. That is a promise in scripture that is absolutely true. Um, we love to go to Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you a hope in a future. We love that verse. Keep going. And it says, when you seek me with all my heart, all your heart, you will find me. We got to go there before we go to the, the he's going to give us a hope in a future. He wants to speak truth into our lives. Um, And he wants us to know that we are not disqualified. Um, We can have his fellowship and his comfort. God can use rejection to teach you to hear his acceptance and his truth. He wants you to hear that you are not rejected. Hear this. You are not disqualified. We are in good company when we feel rejection. Jesus himself was rejected. He was rejected by the Jews. He was rejected by the Gentiles. Um, But God fulfilled his plan at the cross. He was disqualified by his own disciples, his best buds. They were like, this isn't what the kingdom was supposed to look like. You were supposed to usher it in. We were going into Jerusalem. He was disqualified by them. But Jesus maintained his identity and went to the cross. And he went to the cross for us. And I just, the third point um, here is just that God sees your pain and brokenness, but he has a plan for you as well. Remember, we said God sees the raw, the word raw. He sees there's nothing in our lives that he does not see in your life. Picture God as fixing his gaze on you. He is looking with concern at your suffering. He's looking at you with eyes of concern, hearts of compassion. 
Even though you may not feel it because of what you're experiencing, he loves you that much that he is there for you. Like Moses tried to run away from God's gaze, God never stopped seeing Moses in all those 40 years. Remember, he ended up at the well. He ended up with his family. He ended up with his father-in-law. All these are pieces of the puzzle that God is going to use in Moses' story, in the Israel story, and in our story. All of it is weaving together in this perfect plan. In the shame and in the pain, listen, God is training Moses. Moses had lessons that he needed to learn in the desert before he was ready to deliver. There's lessons that we need to learn in the desert places of our lives before God can use us in certain ways that he wants to use us, but he will do it if we sit with him and listen to his voice. Hear this, friends. God sees you. He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for all your pain to be redeemed into his kingdom work. Where do you today need to be reminded that God still has a plan for you? Where do you feel like he doesn't have a plan. I've been rejected. Um, maybe you, like Moses, are in the wilderness in God's training place. Maybe you need to hear his love and his affirmation. God's grace is on the life of Moses. It's on the nation of Israel. And hear this. His grace is on you. Be encouraged and walk in his grace with, his, with your story today. Allow him to use you and know that he loves you beyond measure. Amen.